You're listening to another This Is Your Podcast production. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 37 of the Puck and Hoop podcast. I'm Brian Dunstan, joined once again by my man, Keith. And you know what? It's uh, it's about that time of year where we can start to get some projections on just what's going on in the world of puck and hoop. Better make that the world's puck and hoop. Um, you know, things have happened. Things have not happened the way we predicted them or we thought things have. So there's some surprises out there, some disappointments, and some very interesting going-ons in the world's puck and hoop. And I thought that, you know, that would be a good place to start this podcast, episode 37, as we uh, take a look. And I, I think we should start with hoop key first because the in-season tournament is in progress. And for me, that has been a bit of a surprise. But I'm going to get into that in a little later. I want to hear what, for you, what has stood out for you in the world of hoop to this point in the season. Well, that's funny. I, I Brian, I was going to say the in-season tournament is what stood out for me. Well, go there, Keith. Go there, because we might have different reasons for why they stood well, out. Well, for a number of reasons they stood out for me. Number one, I think that the the way it's played out is exactly the way the NBA wanted it to play out, which I find, you know, interesting. But I'm also wondering, like, okay, I mean, you, got, you have L.A., versus Phoenix in a, I, when I say LA, I mean the Lakers versus the Suns in one quarter. Hey, 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 don't worry about that. When you, when anybody says LA, they're not thinking of the <laughs> they Clippers. Mean the Lakers, <laughs> you know, then you have the Knicks and the Bucks in another one. You've got the Pacers and the Celtics and, you know, the Pelicans and the Kings. So other than the Pelicans and the Kings, which are both actually two very, especially the Kings, highly entertaining teams the way mm-hmm. that the other three series have worked out i mean i don't think it could have been better for the league um you've got obviously new york massive media market la massive media market the bucks with Giannis, you know the suns with kd you know the celtics legendary team so i think this worked out really well for the league and to be honest once I saw that those were the teams that made it out of the group stage, uh, mm-hmm. my interest just ramped up because, yeah, I'm interested in seeing those teams all of a sudden. And it even leads me to question and wonder, Brian, you know, is the league, I don't know, could somehow the league be complicit in this? I don't, I don't think oh, so. Oh, come on. But what are you, a conspiracy theorist not, now? Not usually, but it's worked out so perfectly for ah. them that, you know. And well, well, no. Okay, let me let me based on that, if you if this was the league wanting things to be mapped out and have all the teams that they want to get forward, would you have chosen the Pacers, the Kings, or the Pelicans to get through? Uh I don't think you so. Know what's, interestingly, I mean the Pacers, the way they're playing right now. With that crazy high-scoring offense, I mean, that is something, you know, isn't it? I, there's something to see, you know, and uh, you know, and they're mm-hmm. playing the Celtics. I mean, if the Celtics move yeah. on, I'd be, you know, I'm sure the league wouldn't be unhappy if the Celtics move on. Okay, you got me with the Kings and the and the Pelicans. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, you know, the Kings are again, they're another high-scoring, interesting team out west. They don't really have. The Kings, you know, they haven't had that profile since the Vladi Divac, Chris Webber, 
uh, Mike Bibby slash Jason uh, White Chocolate. Hey, uh, Stoyakovich. Yeah, Stoyakovich. They haven't had that profile since then, but the Kings are really mm. playing good ball at 11 and 7, and they're a really interesting team, you know, to watch. So, but you know what? That has been something that has really stuck out to me. This tournament could not, in my eyes, have worked out any better for the NBA. Well, I will echo your your thoughts about the uh, pre uh, the in season tournament being one of the big surprises in the reception it's received, not only from fans but from players. The intensity of those games have been markedly higher, it seems, than the regular season games. Uh, give or take a few of the surprising games that have happened to this point in the season. But yeah, I think it's a rousing success. And you know, I don't know if uh, the the commissioner of the NBA. Adam, oh, I just lost his name. Who's the commissioner of the NBA? Silver. Adam Silver. I can't believe I forgot <laughs> his name. You know what? I'm going to keep that in this podcast because that's embarrassing for me. And it just goes to show you, man, sometimes the most obvious things just escape your mind. Yes, I think the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, has got to be over the moon at how this has gone for the uh, NBA. And you know what? I don't know if Silver is a fan of that old, what is it, 1990s uh, sitcom. Well, I guess it's more of a, an adventure series, the A-Team. But the leader of the A-Team, uh, Hannibal. Hannibal, what was his name? I can't even look. I'm drawing a blank again on names. Anyway, the leader of the A-Team always said this one thing about one of their plans. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? And I'm sure that somewhere, Commissioner Silver is lighting up a cigar and saying, yeah, man, this plan has really come <laughs> together to this point anyway. It's funny, you know, Keith, because uh, I was very skeptical about this in-season term. I was like, is it really necessary? I mean, do I have to get more fired up about the NBA? And I am now. I am fired up about this term. I want to see who wins. I want to see these matchups because primarily because of the way the players have approached it. They're not joking around, man. They want that extra 500K, and why not? So, yeah, I think I do echo your thoughts about the uh, in-season tournament. For me, the other big surprise, and you kind of touched on a little bit with the Pacers, but overall, the scoring in the league, it's unbelievable. I'm just like, why, why, how, and where did this come from? There were no indications that this was going to happen in this season. Um, it's not like there was any great rule changes that would impact offense versus defense, but it seems like every team has had a game where they've scored 140 and above this season. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I'm sure the advent of the three-point shot over the years has really influenced the way offenses go about trying to score, meaning that you have to score more to win a game. But the leap in scoring in this season, to me, is an unbelievable surprise. and quite an interesting development to keep an eye on because there are teams out there that like to hang their hat on defense, a la the Toronto Raptors, who we'll get to a little bit later on. I don't think you can do that and stay alive in this league. You have to score now because everybody else is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I think that the, the scoring and the defense, I think as you go along, the, uh, the defense will pick up. I think the scoring will come down. For me, I don't want to jump way too far ahead, but you know, traditionally the scoring comes down 
in the playoffs. Like, I mean, can, can a team like the Pacers go into a, a playoff spot and score 100, almost 130 points a game? I mean, they're averaging 128.8 points a game. That's incredible. And you know what? You know, that some of those 140-point games they score, those are regulation games. You know? The, a lot of them have Yeah, been. these are not overtime it's crazy. games. So, I mean, I think that's really, really impressive is the scoring. And maybe, you know, like they've been shooting, they've been doing three and D. Well, well, forget about the D and maybe it's just the three <laughs> right now. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it seems like. All right. So that those are the things that I found surprising and interesting to this point in the season. And I'm sure we'll find can I one, much can I more. One more thing? Oh, well, let me get to another thing that I was going to okay. mention that I think is the most surprising. And kind of not the most surprising at the same time. LeBron James, 21st season in the league, and he's not slowing down. The expectation was that he would uh, have reduced minutes this season. They even started out that way in the first couple games of the season. And then it went by the wayside. I really firmly believe he is the one and only unicorn in the NBA. Because what he's done since he's 18 years old, walked into the NBA, superstar, and then 20 years later, in his season 21, he's a superstar still. That is unheard of. The only other person that can approach that is Tom Brady. And that's a whole different sport. There is nobody in the history of the NBA that is doing what LeBron James is doing at the level he's doing it for as long as he's done it ever. And we're talking about the greatest players of all time, which changes the argument now. You know me, Keith, I am hands down always going to say that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. But if LeBron James keeps this up, I don't care how many championships he does or does not win. He will go down as the greatest basketball player the world has ever seen. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. I mean, I, I I hate to say that that's a longevity award because remember, just last year. But it's not just the long. No, 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 Keith, no, no. But that's no, no, the that's point. What I'm going to say it's not just the longevity. It's the excellence. But that's what I was just about to say because even just last mm-hmm. year, he averaged close to thirty points per game. You know, so this is not a <laughs> not a longevity award at all. You know, the thing is too is I think that LeBron has gotten smarter. I noticed. Uh, in the few games that I've watched that he doesn't have as many forays to the hoop. You know, he's not, you know, he he can still, Hey, he can still get up there and bring the house down. But I I think he's doing it less often. I think he knows, uh, you know, he can't take that full pounding on his body as much, but his minutes, they are, they're up there, man. Like he's playing 33.6 minutes a game. And as you mentioned, they started off the season trying to mm-hmm. like restrict him, you know, he's on a minute restriction. So, you know, good luck with that. You know, what's incredible, what's incredible about that is LeBron is listed at six, nine, two fifty. I think he's actually back to two fifty. but there were periods in, in his career where he was a 275 pound man and the yeah. amount of pressure and stress on his joints his knees, his hips, his ankles. I mean, he has had some injuries over the last couple of years, but 
It's incredible what he is doing. In less than a month, he will be 39 years old. And as you mentioned, he's been doing it for 21 seasons. And I think right now, I think he's dialed it back a bit on the scoring, but I think he could still score 30 a game if he wanted to. And he does so on no any question. given night. No question. You know, Keith, it's the longevity thing is just, it's overwhelming. And I think that if I'm an NBA, if I'm a neophyte NBA player with any kind of physical tools whatsoever, I am going to LeBron James and beg him to give me the blueprint for a successful career. Maybe not to the extent that you're an all-time great like LeBron is, but a healthy, productive, long career. He's got the blueprint. Why isn't every great young player knocking at his door, firing up his email, getting into his DMs and saying, LBJ, share me with share with me the blueprint. Because whatever you've done to keep yourself at the level you've been playing at for 21 consecutive NBA seasons, I gotta know what it is. Hey, if I'm I mean, hell, he should sell it to them. He'd make he'd be a he'd be a double billionaire. If I'm Zion Williamson, especially, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I am following this guy around in the offseason and trying to, you know, but trying what, to figure why out isn't what every do. great player doing that? I thought like that to me is just common sense. Go to the source, man. Yeah, I think you know, players have players have pride. Uh, you know, some players don't want to you don't want to go to other people to ask for the formula, but you notice great, the truly great. You know, always did. You know, Kobe used to call Michael Jordan at 2 a.m. and ask him mm-hmm. for Jordan you know? called Dr. J. Exactly. You know, Dr. J called the people that he called. He got to talk to Wilt Chamberlain. Exactly. You know, I mean, the, the legacy of greats helping greats is a long list, Keith, and it's all connected. Yeah. It's all well, connected. And Zion, so. especially with, I mean, he's not exactly built like LeBron and vice versa, but I mean, he's he's a big guy who gets up in the air, you know, and obviously Mm -hmm. Zion's had those lower leg injuries that LeBron just, you know, has had in the last couple of years, but he's really been able to avoid them for most of his career. I mean, why not go to, yeah, you're right. Not, why not go to, you know, the NBA's Methuselah and ask him for, (laughs) (laughs) for some, you know, for just some pointers from help, you know, like we, we know out, like it's been said, LeBron spends like a million dollars on his body per season, per season. And that's a great investment if you, you think about mm-hmm. the return, right? So, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Okay, let me just mention yeah. something. Well, in a, in a season, sorry, let go me ahead. mention something quickly. What is shocking me mm-hmm. about the NBA? We're talking about a guy, you know, an older guy. But what's stunning to me is the youth movement in Orlando, in Oklahoma City, um, in Indiana. These young teams... They're coming. I thought, you know, these teams, you know, are a couple of seasons away. But I mean, Oklahoma City is 13 and six, Orlando's 14 and six. You know, the Pacers are scoring that 130 points a game. And I got to be honest with you, I saw Orlando play many times last year against the Raptors. I saw Oklahoma City play. And these teams, for various reasons, like, they're really surprising me this year with their turnarounds. I mean, I, I believe, uh, well, not I believe, I mean, Oklahoma is second in the West and 
Orlando's second in the East, Brian. Yep, absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, Keith, if you were to tell me at to start this season that by the 20th game of the season, the Orlando Magic would be two games behind the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference, I would have said, man, those Celtics are having a very disappointing <laughs> season. Yeah. <laughs> but it's flipped, it's flipped over. It's vice versa. You know, the, the Magic just might be legit, Keith. But I will put this codicil on this. It's only 20 games in. One quarter of the season. A lot of games left to play. And young teams, as you know, as you know Keith, have a habit of hitting rough spots here and there. So let's see how the Magic wade through their rough spots. And if they're legit, they'll get through it. But if they're not quite ready for prime time just yet, the lofty perch that they're at just might precede a precipitous fall. We'll have to wait and see. All right. I think that's a good look at what's uh, surprised, intrigued, and interested us in the world of hoop to this point in the season. Now let's swing over to the world of puck and see what uh, in the NHL has jumped out. And because I started with a hoop, I'll let you uh, have the first swing of what surprised you in, uh, in Puck to this point in the season. Yeah, we, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but the Boston Bruins, to me, have I don't know how they do it. You had to go there. I don't, yeah. You had to yeah, go Well, there. let's... You had let's, you, know, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about the Bruins, but you had I, to go I, there. And you're right. Yeah, I, you're 100% right. I don't know how they do it. I mean, David Pasternak is all world. I mean, if they're, you know, he would be on my first team, all NHL, if we were, you know, if we were uh, to do that today. So he's all world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a, a lot of these guys, the Bruins must have just the greatest system because they really have that next man up mentality. You know, they, they really do. I mean, Brad Marchand is still you know, uh, probably what the best pest in the NHL, you know, Charlie Coyle, Pavel Saka, they got, they and their defense. We knew that was, we knew that they would have a steady defense and great goaltending, but given all of those things, I just thought you lose David Krejci and more importantly, no short trip to David Krejci, Patrice Bergeron coming off of, both of them great seasons last year. You lose your top two centers, Brian, and you're still hmm. at the top of the NHL. You know, you're still the top team in the Eastern Conference standings, you know, tied with the Rangers. But, you know, how, how are they doing it? I, I just don't know how they're doing it night in and night out. Yeah, I, I will tell you, Keith, and I freely admit this. If there is one city in North America, sports-wise, I'm talking now, that I cannot stand, it is Boston. I don't like the Celtics. You know that. I dislike the Red Sox intensely, and I really can't stand the Bruins. But here we are. We're doing a podcast called Puck and Hoop. And who are the best teams in the Eastern Conferences <laughs> of both Puck and Hoop? Boston teams. It's just, it's disheartening. It's, I, I don't even know what to say anymore about the Bruins because they get it, man. They know how to win and win consistently 
year in, if they have a down year, that's the surprise. So the fact that they're up at the top of the Eastern Conference, one of the best teams in the NHL this year, you know, are we surprised? Yeah, because they're doing it exactly what they did last year again. But overall, look at their record for the last 10 years. We should not be surprised. They have a commitment to excellence that every other team in the NHL should take a look at. We talked about blueprints with LeBron James. I think in the NHL, if you want to have excellence year in, year out, the Boston Bruins are the blueprint. What other, Look at the last 10 years. What other team has the excellence, the level of excellence? That, I know they had a down year in there, maybe two. But overall, the last 10 years, you can count on Boston. The Bruins every year. It's it's very disheartening if you don't like the, the Bean Town team. But they have a commitment to excellence, man. Sort of steal from the Raiders, but I think the commitment to excellence now resides in Boston, particularly with the Celtics and the Bruins. And as a Leafs fan and as a Raptors fan, you really just have to chew on those words and swallow them because there are two teams you're going to see a lot of as the puck and hoop seasons move on. I'm going to get off the Boston trip for a bit and talk about what's surprising me in hockey and swing out West. And I can't believe the Vancouver Canucks are doing what they do. Sure, they have a couple of talented guys and Elias Pedersen and all that. And they've got a pretty darn good goaltender in Thatcher Demko. But is Rick Tockett that much of a factor that this team can turn around the brutal performance they had last season to be one of the best and most consistent teams in the NHL to this point. I'm I'm shocked at that. Amazed and, you know, kind of happy for them because they were going through a period, man, Keith, where people were just bailing on them. Their fans were unhappy. Their ownership was unhappy. They fired their coach. In comes Rick Tockett. And it's a, it's a total 180. They're a fun team to watch. Now, I know they lost to the Leafs a little while back in a game that probably was a bit of a trap game for them because I think they played the night before. But they've been red hot from the beginning of the season, and they continue to play pretty darn good hockey at this stage. I don't see it stopping for them. So that, to me, this year in, uh, in puck is the biggest surprise, the Vancouver Canucks. And I'll, and I'll give a little nod to the Boston Bruins for the fact that they are the class, along with the Rangers of the Eastern Conference to this point in the season. Yeah, well, I mean, the Canucks are the highest scoring team in the NHL right now. So, I mean, we know how they're doing it. And you know what? I, I did see a stat earlier in the year that when Rick Tockett took over, from the time he took over last year, mid-season, the Canucks actually had, they were on a, they were on a playoff um, position pace from the time Rick <laughs> Tockett came in. So maybe, as you, you, know, you asked the question, maybe Rick Tockett is that good of a coach in this, yeah. uh, you know. He, he is him. He's him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's that guy, you know, but all yeah. of a sudden, I mean, hey, the years, right? Quinn Hughes is having Pedersen started mm-hmm. off like a house on fire. He's, he's still in there in the top 10 of scoring, you know, Brock Besser has got 17 goals. I mean, this is a team that just knows how to score. They've got the best offense right now in the NHL. Um, all those, the funny thing is these people, these players were in place last year and maybe Tockett yeah. has that 
you know, he's got the, he knows how to pull the strings to motivate guys to play because, you know, as I mentioned, from the time he came in, they started to take a step forward. But uh, I don't think anyone foresaw this. And, you know, my favorite stat, right? The plus minus, <laughs> the differential in the NHL. Yeah. The Vancouver Canucks have the best differential in the NHL. They've got a very good defense and a great offense. And how can you beat that recipe for success, Brian? You can't because right now the Vancouver Canucks are probably, if not the best team in the West, right there with the Colorados and the Vegas Golden Knights. So kudos to them. I guess we can say that they are the best Canadian team in the NHL right now. But, uh, you know, the most interesting team in uh, Canada right now for me, and this is my segue into our usual Troyoka of teams we cover in the world of puck and hoop, the Montreal Canadiens, because they continue to tread water, <laughs> Keith. And they just made a big signing, too. Uh, they made a commitment to send Mont- Montembeau. So it looks like they're, uh, they've got their goalie of the future and their goalie for now. You know what? He's separated himself from Jake Allen uh, over... Absolutely. Yeah, he, he has. I mean, you know, when he's in net, you have more... Uh, he's got a winning record. Um, you have more of a chance to win night in and night out. Very respectable 2.73 goals against average. And remember, he's doing that with the, say, you know, defensemen 7, 8, 9, even 10 in front of him yeah. because of all the injuries that the Canadians have been going through. Um, you know, this guy was a waiver pickup by the Canadians originally a couple of years ago, hmm. you know, and this was, he was given a chance, let's be honest, because without Carey Price and the, the Canadians, like without being able to count on Carey every night in and night out back then, he, he was just, he was really given a shot to revive any um, hopes of an NHL career. You gotta love it. The guys run with it, man. He's got a really respectable 910 save percentage, and you know, which looks even better than 2.73 goals against average. You know, so he is definitely and clearly the number one choice. And you know, we talk, we don't really talk money, but the Canadians get him for basically three million a year. That's that's a steal in today's NHL. For your number one, for a number one goalie, yeah. absolutely. Well, let, let me ask you a question, Keith. Though, because Caden Primo's played pretty well for the Canadians when he's got a chance at the net. So, can the Canadians tie their can their future to two exceedingly well, relatively young goaltenders, and put Jake Allen up for grabs to a team that's you know looking to make a deal? I think they can, Brian, but I got to be honest. I, I think the Canadians are more trying to dangle Caden Primo than they are Jake Allen. I think Caden really? Primo, you know, how old is Caden Primo now? 24? I think you're going to, you know, he's a big goalie with a good pedigree. I mean, I think you're more, you, you might be able to get more for him in a trade than you will honestly get for Jake Allen. Who, you know, Jake Allen's a vet, but his his goals against an average of 898. I know it's so funny, eh? 900, it's one of those things that 900 looks so much better than 898. And it's, <laughs> what is that, two thousandths of a point? 0.02 percentage yeah, points. Two yeah, two thousandths of a point, but it looks so much better than 900 mm. yeah, level. 
And I think that, you know, hey, would you rather have a 24-year-old Caden Primo or, or a 33-year-old Jake Allen? I, I, I think I'd rather have Primo because I think, you know, there's, there might be some more upside. But, you know, maybe at the trade deadline, you really need a guy. I mean, Jake, Jake Allen's been there before, right? So, Yeah, and also he's, he's a guy who's proven that he can be a backup and come in and play starters minutes. Yeah, so, he has. And that's a hard thing for a younger goalie to do, right? So I, I think there's going to be a marketplace depending on need for both guys. But I, what I'm more concerned about, though, or interested in finding out, and I'm sure we'll see this as the season develops, is whether the Montreal would do that. Would they tie their goaltending future to two young guys like that at this stage of the development of their team? That, to me, it's an interesting situation. I don't think they have anything to lose, Brian. I mean, look at their... No, look at their, not really. Look at their defense. Yeah. I mean, they've had... They've made a choice there, yeah, right? Had, it's obvious. They've, you know, they've had no problem handing off leadership roles on defense to guys like mm-hmm. Caden Gooley. Um, obviously, Mike Matheson, you know, playing 25 minutes a game <laughs> is the real leader of that defense. But you've had guys like Justin Barron, who's one of those guys, I believe he was, you know, the seventh defenseman who's now playing 20 minutes a night, you know, and already has five goals for the Canadians in 21 games. So I don't think they have any issue um, you know, with the leadership roles. I noticed that Baron and Gooley are now your pairing on, you know, you get, you're handed that off to a 21 and a 22 year old. They're your pairing, your top penalty killing pairing. So I don't think they have a problem with handing off responsibility to young guys. I mean, I just think whichever guy gets them the better return is the way they'll go. And, you know, also, whichever guy looks more attractive in a package to a contender, I think, at the deadline, that's the guy that will go. Because the number one guy is there. And they do have some guys yeah. on the farm. You know, they've also got people yeah. coming up behind them. So the number one guy is clear now, at least, right? I mean, last year, Jake Allen, Sam Montembeau, you know, they were just switching in, switching out. And Montembeau started to separate, it, separate himself. He played for Canada at the Worlds, and night in and night and out. And was good. Oh, yeah, it was very respectable at the Worlds. And night mm-hmm. in and night out, night out here, he's been separating himself on a nightly basis, giving you a chance to win. So I, I think they can, I think they'd be more than happy to move on from either of the other goaltenders. Well, it's quite obvious that Montreal is building towards something. Yeah. There is. Which is my obvious segue to the least, because <laughs> it's more of a question mark in Toronto what exactly they're building towards. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that this is going to be a playoff team. But the road to the playoffs for the Leafs this year is starting to look a lot different than it has in previous seasons. Um, I won't say they cruised in previous seasons, but they, they kind of did when it comes right down to it. They kind of cakewalked into the playoffs. This year, I mean, what is it? They've played half their games into overtime and into shootouts. They've played more one-shot, one-goal games than any other team in the league. They're not scoring. They're scoring a goal and a half less, I think, than they scored in the previous season. Matthews has gone twice, at least seven games, with only one goal. I mean, 
There, you talk about being down to your seven, eight, nine defensemen. Look at Toronto's defense score, decimated by injury. The goaltending has been meh at best, although it looks like the kid Joseph Wool is getting on a bit of a roll. So, all that being said, through 20 games, they've got 26 points. It's a 104, 105 point pace, solidly a playoff team. So, are we getting too bent out of shape by the fact that the Leafs? don't look like world beaters at this point in the season? And should we be happy that, hey, maybe this is a great point to launch from? You're not playing your best hockey, but you're firmly entrenched in a playoff spot. And you know that you're going to get better when you get your defense core back. You know you're not going to keep Matthews down all season long. And it looks like this wall kid is the legitimate, you know, number one guy they've been looking for for a number of seasons. So we should we be expecting, like I said the, in the previous podcast, this next segment of games for the Leafs to be movement time for them? Yeah, you know what? The thing that I see with the Maple Leafs night in and night out is always a period of brilliance followed by a period of lethargy. And, you know, Wall looks absolutely unbeatable in the nets at times. And then all of a sudden the pressure comes on and a goal, I won't call them soft goals, but they just, the other teams seem to be able to score like really good goals on against him. You know, like the other night, you know, I saw that uh, when they played Seattle and I saw that uh, pass that uh, I believe it was Wenberg, the go the go ahead goal to Jared McCann that was a just a beautiful pass through traffic yeah and it was like it was one of those plays Brian where I believe Wenberg was it Bjorkstrand or Wenberg no it's Wenberg where he took on like two or three Leafs on his own nobody wanted to actually give him a hit or bump him off the puck it looked like a dead play and then he mm-hmm. a seeing eye assist to Jared McCann. One of the, threw a bunch of sticks, one of the best passes I've seen in a long time. And, you know, and McCann has that beautiful shot. Against the run of play. Yeah. It was a pass against yeah. the run of play. And Just, those are great passes. And that was, and you know what? And I can't say, that was a great shot. But it was just kind of like, yeah. the Leafs just seemed to relax there. And You know what and it is, what Keith? Is and, and you're making a great point. Yeah, there's a sag factor. In almost every loss that the Leafs have had, or not even losses, in every game they've played, they'll be up. How many? I'd like to go back and take a look at how many games they're up two goals, and then they just sort of, that sag factor creeps in. Quite a few. More than a handful. I would even dare say a lot that's happened. Because they've been up on teams, and they've let them right back in the games on so many different occasions this season. Which is why they're probably playing so many gosh darn overtime and shootout games. So, but all that being said, man, they're still right there in the mix, more than in the mix. So the question becomes, isn't this a great launching pad to build from? You've played your worst hockey. Put that behind you. Get on your horse. Giddy up. Let's start playing now. Their defensemen are starting to heal up. Lilligren's skating. He'll be back. Jake McCabe came back, so they've got him firmly entrenched in the lineup. They're going to start getting players back. 
Marner looks like he's finally starting to play Marner-like hockey. And Matthew scored two goals in his last game. So maybe things are going to be a slow build this season. It won't be that explosive team we've seen in the past three, four, five seasons. Maybe this is the buildup that they need in order to have that extended success in the playoffs. Like, this is all forecasting and prognostication because you can't predict what's going to happen because hockey is just that game. But if I'm looking at this Toronto team, which I do all the time, consistently, constantly, (laughs) kind of comprehensively because it's what I like to do, to me it seems like there is something to build from here. There has to be because their goals are off-stated and out there for everyone to see. They're not here to get to the playoffs. They're not here to have a good regular season. They want to win a Stanley Cup, and it has to happen this season. So the road to get there is getting interesting because of the start they had. And now I think this regular season becomes the most interesting regular season they've had to this point in the Matthews-Marner era because all the success they've had in regular seasons before was nice. It was lovely. And what did it get them? Now they're having adversity seemingly every period, every game, every week. And you know what they say about adversity, Keith? It builds character. (laughs) So maybe this is the character-building regular season that makes this Maple Leaf team a bigger factor come playoff time. At least that's what I'm hoping for. You know what? There's not much that separates the Bruins from the Leafs. They played, what, twice this year? Twice this season? Yeah. And, you know, both times. Both games went to overtime. Both games went to overtime. But, again, it's just, you know, the, the eye test. You just see these Bruins, like, as a grinding, never back down team. And for me, you see the Leaf, as I said, with teams that have this, they ride this emotional high and this, you know, and this emotional low. The other night, Austin Matthews scores with six seconds left on the clock. You mm-hmm. think, wow, okay, that's an emotional high. You're going to go into yeah, overtime. Ride it, right? Yeah, you're going to ride that ride in it. overtime. You're going to be flying in overtime. And, you know, they, they had their chances in overtime. But, you know, Boston comes mm-hmm. Boston comes away with the win. You know you know what? I, I never mentioned this to you, but I, what was Yeah, this? but you know what, Keith? Let me ask you a question. How many times have you seen William Nylander blow a tire in the middle of the race? <laughs> like, what? That only happens to Toronto against Boston. Yeah. That type of thing. You know, the Boston-Toronto jinx is firmly in place in my estimation, if you believe it. You know what's funny, though? And, but as a Leaf fan, you have to believe in those and things. And uh, they actually mentioned the previous shift, right, in overtime. He almost wiped out as well. Did you notice yeah. that? Yeah, well, there you go. So Yeah, they mentioned it. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As they they yeah. called it a toe pick, but he almost went over. Yeah. Like, he almost went over in his previous shift, which was uh, interesting that obviously when it, when it, what happened, it, what it came back to was him wiping out. But no, you know what I, I was going to say? I, I watched mm-hmm. them uh, lose a game in OT to the Blackhawks a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago. Yeah. And another game with a bunch of sacks. Another game. But what struck me was the Blackhawks had two teenagers on the ice for the winning goal. And the Leafs had Austin Matthews, William mm-hmm. Nylander, and you know, who else was on there? 
Oh, it would have been Matthew Nyes at that point. No, 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 no. It was, uh, sorry, I'm thinking who else was on there? It wasn't McCabe. It was, uh, who was on there? Well, defense-wise? Yeah, it was. Um, Riley and Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was Riley, Matthews, and, and Nylander. And yeah, and uh, the Blackhawks had Bedard, that Kaczynski kid, the 19-year-old defenseman, who actually ended up scoring. Yeah, and the way he scored was he beat these guys to a loose puck. It was a he just banged in a puck, but he beat them to a loose puck, just dangling in front of the net. And I noticed last night, and we're taping this on a recording this on a Sunday, and you know the the CBC guys were saying afterwards, after Nylander blew a tire. They were like, look at John Tavares. He should be hustling back here. Look at Nylander. And if you noticed, there were three, it was a three on one, basically, you know? Yeah. And hey, and, you know, they, the three Bruins on one, uh, Pasternak had a great opportunity, right? And, you know, we didn't, it did, obviously it didn't go in and he had a little bit of luck. He banged the puck in, but then Marchand was sitting there all alone with an open net. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe the wrong time to, you know, maybe the wrong time to lose a little hustle. Like maybe scored with eight seconds left. Maybe you're thinking it's going to a shootout. Your mind's already on the shootout. But, you know. Yeah. You know what, Keith? Mm-hmm. I saw that and I'm thinking, I, would they have been able to get back in the play in time? No. Not really. Yeah. We don't know. So it's easy to point that out because Tavares was already in the offensive zone. He was right at the blue line. And that play happened going with speed yeah, from the red line. The so how's he, is he going to get back into that play? I don't think you'd have to be Connor McDavid on steroids. Get back. Yeah, into but, that. but do you have to try, Brian? But, you know, make the effort. I know. But, make the effort, right? Yeah. Make You're the captain. Make the effort. So I don't know. Make the effort. But that, that to me is just, you know, Wall comes up with a tremendous save on Pasternak Ooh, there. Yep. And the puck bounces right back to him, goes up in the air. Yeah. Did it couldn't not have gone over Brad Marchand's head? I know. He had to jump to get that puck, you know. But no, it goes right into his glove, puts it down, bangs into the open net. With what five seconds left in the OT? Yeah. Well, that's yeah, just the eight seconds. I guess that was a little apropos, seeing as at least tied it up with six. Yeah. Seconds left. So yeah, but it's just it's you know that's that's Boston Toronto man. If something bad is going to happen, even after something good has happened to the Leafs, you know it's going to go in Boston's favor somehow. That's the history between these two teams. Anyway, the bottom line here for me with the Toronto Maple Leafs, because I want to wrap this up and move on to the, to the Raptors, is simply this. I think that they're in a great position based on the fact that they have not hit their stride yet. They made so many changes in the offseason. It's still a find-your-way-together type of scenario for this team. And they've got a little bit of time to do that because of the fact they've been able to get points when they maybe did not deserve to get points in many of these games because they're right there in the mix. And that's all you can ask for at this point in the season. All right, let's turn our attention to the Toronto Raptors for the final segment here on episode 37 of the Puck and Heat podcast. And for me, at this point in the season, The only thing that I'm very interested in with this team is just how they're going to play defensively. Because until they get their hands wrapped around this offense on a consistent basis, we're going to see them struggle and we're going to see them fly. And it could be from one quarter to the next. 
or it could be from game to game. We don't know. But what they've got to do and hang their hats on is the fact that they need to play defense to their full potential every game. Because that is something that they can control. That is something they've got. And if they don't do that, that's where I'm going to find fault with this team in the first half of the season. And to me, that's what's costing them some of these games. They have these defensive lapses and let teams go on these extended runs, which kind of flies in the face of just what a great defensive team this team should be. And I don't understand it, Keith, because when you can throw a Dennis Schroeder at the point who pressures everybody, Scotty Barnes, who can cover anybody, Pascal Siakam can cover anybody, OG Ananobi, who covers everybody. And you're getting runs of 15 to 0, 12 to 2, 19 to 4. I mean, come on. You got to take a hard look at yourself and ask are we making enough of a defensive commitment? Shots are going to go in or shots aren't going to go in. With this team, a lot of times they're not going to go in. I get that. But you cannot tell me that you can't come out and commit on the defensive end night in, night out given the excellent defenders you have on this team, given the help you got with a seven-footer guarding the hoop. There's got to be more of a commitment defensively. And if they can bring that night in, night out, we're going to see some success with this team. Because offensively, <laughs> it's going to be up and down, man, as we've seen to this point. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the up was going into Phoenix, right? And playing a, yeah. a, a great game. To beat the Suns. All round. Offense, defense was nice. Yeah, snapping Phoenix's, what, seven-game win streak? Okay, that's enough. But then you play the Knicks, and, you know, Brian, I get it. The de- Looked like hot garbage. Yeah, the defense, I mean, at times, you know, wasn't there. How, how often does Dante DiVincenzo get to spot up before somebody closes out on this guy? You know, and you know, he was a hot it's shooter. It's not like he's not a known quantity. Yeah, and he was the hot shooter that night. Clearly, he was a hot shooter. So defensive awareness and responsibility, I mean, that, that's something that you should be able to do every single night, no matter how you're shooting. Unquestionable. You know? Yep. And but Brian, for me, in the uh, can't even call it the new NBA, the Steph Curry era, mm-hmm. if you go, yeah. if you shoot six for thirty-two which is what about 23% from three point line, from the three point line you're not going to win especially when a third of your shots more than a third of your shots are coming from the three point line i mean yep you know you can't shoot 21% because you know how it is right 21 21% is really what if is it what really what uh, 33% but you know, if of shot, you know, if you're going two for three, it's really like thirty-three yeah. percent. But as you call that, that's still hot garbage. So, you know, those kind of shots, um, six for thirty-two, they just got beaten at the three-point line by the Knicks. I mean But that's happening far too often oh, yeah. season, that they're getting beat at the three-point line. Yeah. And you know what? I get that. We're not a great shooting team. Fine. They knew that get going better in better shots. Yeah, knew that yep. going in. You knew that going in. Which is why this offense is great for this team. It's about cutting. It's about passing. It's about getting open shots, about getting easy shots. And when they commit to it, you get a game like they did against the Pacers 
you get a game like they did against the Phoenix Suns, where the offense looks like butter, man. It's just smooth, nice. But then you come out against the Knicks and you fire 32 three-pointers? Come on, you know, that's not you. That is not who this team is. When they're getting going good from there, sure, fire those up. But that's not going to happen on a regular basis with this team. So I'm all in on the fact that they're a team in transition. And maybe they get to the point where they're a problem for other teams. Maybe they don't. But as we talked about, it's a journey through every regular season. And this journey for this Raptor team, to me, is predicated on their defense. Because the offense is something that's going to come in time. And if you want this journey to be a good one, and it gives you time, your offense time to catch up, then commit to that defensive identity. Find it. Hold on to it. And make that your calling card. Because that's something we're not seeing a lot of around the NBA with all these you know, 135 to 132 games. If you can slow teams down from their regular offense, they get frustrated. They start to press. And maybe some of those shots don't go in as often if you're out there playing that good defense and not allowing Dante DiVincenzo to spot up for three or pump fake you off your feet, knowing he ain't going to drive to the hoop. He's going to sidestep into another three. Like, just commit to playing proper defense. You know, other than that, Keith, I'm trying to be patient with this Raptors team because I know that they really are a team in transition. They've got to make some moves down the road. And based on just where they are at the trade deadline. Because I feel that if they're in a position to be a playoff team, then you ride that out. But if they're not, we've got some pieces that can be moved. Oh, yeah. Pieces, contracts. Remember last, yep. last week we were saying that, you know, when you blink, the Raptors could be in a worse playoff position. And they've gone, I know it's not that big. They've gone from 10th to 11th. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I know it's still hovering around 500, though. Still right? hovering around 500. I mean, they're not nine and 11, which is fine. It's kind of where they should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish I wish they weren't nine and 11. I wish that was an 11 nine hover, <laughs> but <laughs> but still. And it could, and you know what? But for all intents and purposes, it, it could be and should be. But you know, they've lost a couple of games, if not four games, where they should have won or could have won, and they didn't. So. Like, that's why I look at that record and say they're right there for being a 500 or a plus 500 team. So it's it's incremental improvement, right, to get to that level. Yeah, I, but you know what? It's funny. At this point, 20 games in, again, you know, quarter of the season, I mean, mm-hmm. you'd like to see, especially on your home floor, I think, that sort of, you know, that fight night in and night out. You know, a little, yeah, a little tough, a little tougher defensively. I know this is not the 2023 NBA, but you know, like, can we hold a team to under 100 points on a, on a, <laughs> on a night? I I don't know if we can. You know, I I firmly believe that that is never going to happen unless a team shoots brutally, because the way teams are scoring in this year, if you can hold them to a hundred. You've done a fantastic job defensively. Yeah, you know, it's just just looking through. I, I think the the Raps have held the opposition to under a hundred points twice, and I think uh, and they're one and one in those games. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so they didn't win both games. They held the Trailblazers. Which tells you a lot about the Raptors' offense, yeah, right? The you hold a team to under 100 points and you lose? Yeah, they're one and one. Oh, my goodness. They're one and one in yeah. those circumstances, you know? So, you know, yeah. individually, you know, I, I just, I, I was I was loving the shot selection that they were getting, um, you know, and, and the Suns game, yes, I loved the shots that they took. But this Knicks game, again, it sort of, I don't know. It sort of looked like the Raptors didn't play to the identity they're trying to, I guess. They're trying to cultivate. Yeah. So, I mean, but if you if you you talk you talk about that next game, Keith, and if you go look at that first quarter, I think the score was tied at 57 after the first half. That second quarter just it was real movement, real 0.5 basketball. They were getting open shots. They were getting some possessions where they had extreme mismatches that allowed Pascal and Scotty to do what they wanted out there. But they were doing the things that I'm pretty sure uh, Darko Ryakovich wants them to do on offense. And then in the third quarter, they just fell out of it. They fell out of sync. Like we talk about the Leafs sagging in periods of their or points in their game. That's what the Raptors do. They they also is it a Toronto malaise, you know? Instead of Boston excellence, we get Toronto malaise. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you you know what? Yeah, but the Raptors. You're right. You're right. I mean, the Raptors yeah. in the fourth quarter. The Raptors and Knicks both scored 29 points. It was that one quarter. Exactly. That's all. Like that was a game that was there for the taking. Which is why you end up at nine and eleven instead of eleven and nine at this point in the season. So, so, so you look at that and you see from that as as maddening and frustrating as that is, you can kind of get a glimmer of hope because you see what this team could possibly be, and it's really not that far. It's not that elusive. It's right there within their grasp. This isn't a situation where their reach is beyond their grasp. It's got to reach a little further, you know, and grab it because it is right there for them. So that is why I'm maintaining a position of optimism with the Raptors. Much more than a lot of people that I've spoken to about this team are, you know, I mean, everyone's kind of down on them. I'm like, well, what are your expectations from this season? I'm not looking at them to go crashing into the NBA final and be like this great team, but I am looking at them to improve throughout the season. And to be a problem by the time, you know, the, the nut-cutting games come around. And by a problem, you mean? Because they have, the, say again, uh, by a problem, by a problem they're going to be hard to play against. A hard to play against. Because I think they're, they could be a very difficult team to play against. Because they're going to have enough offense, and they're going to have a great defense. They just got to commit to, you know, what the principles are that Darko Ryakovich are instilling in their offense. And commit to who they can be on defense, which we've seen in points in the first 20 games. So that's where my sense of optimism comes in. You know, we'll get games like Phoenix on a more regular basis. We'll get games like against the Pacers on a more regular basis. We'll get a half like the Knicks versus the yeah, Raptors on a more regular basis. And that leads to a positive record. You know, that's the, that's the optimism that I have with this team. Because it's right there. I mean, like I said, it's right there for them. Am I being too optimistic with that? Maybe, but I think it's realistic. This team is too good 
to be that bad. Yeah, you know what? I hey, look, I I, I think the Raptors, their current lineup, I think they can be a good team, you know. Um, but the other thing, I you know, I'm looking for more from the bench because I I don't know where mm-hmm. where that scoring comes from. I mean, the other night, uh, as we're saying, and I'm. Yeah, I'm comparing them to the Knicks. DiVincenzo with 21 points, Hart with 17, 15 of those in that critical third quarter, right? Yep. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, that's when you're going to your bench at that point, because almost halfway through the third quarter, the Raps were within four points. And when those two guys heated up, that's when the separation came, right? I mean, so. Can we get that secondary scoring? I mean, Scotty Barnes. Well, that's a great. Yeah, Scotty Barnes played well in that game. I mean, so did Siakam. So did Siakam. I mean, yeah, but that's a great point, Keith, because I think you're talking exactly what's at the heart of their offensive woes. Is that you know the starters can come in and do what they do, and then you you know you mix up your lineups and you have a two starter situation or a one starter situation with with some subs. This is where Gary Trent Jr., Pascal, I said Pascal, uh, Chris Boucher, uh, Precious Achua have to come in and be positive players for the Raptors. Now, I know Gary Trent Jr.'s gone, got to a better point with his shooting in the last few games. But look, if he's not coming off the bench and being a dynamic scorer for them, what use is he to the Raptors, realistically? Because if you're going to be that first guy off the bench, the guy that Darko has really turned to, to boost the offense, and you're not boosting the offense, then what utility do you really have? Because you're, you know, he's an effective defensive player, but he's not out there for his defense. He's out there to be a threat to score and a threat and to be a threat from beyond the three-point line. And frankly, Keith, he's been mediocre at best to this point in the season. And, you know, to his detriment, too, because he's in the contract year. Well, you know what, too, is, you know, you're talking about being the first guy off the bench. He is playing less than a minute, a mi- just less than a minute, less, whatever, than Jakob Pertl. So he's getting the minutes. He's playing almost 26 minutes mm-hmm. a game. You know, he is that first guy off the bench. I mean, 11 points a game is, you know, the field goal percentage is under 40. That scares me, Brian. Not his three-point yeah. field goal percentage. I mean, his field goal percentage is under four. Yeah. That scares me. And those numbers, Keith, those numbers aren't him, right? No. He's been better than that throughout his career. Well, so you know, he's he when he came in as a Raptor, there were games that he came off the bench. I'm not saying he's got to do this every night, but there were games where he hit 30, 30 plus. Yeah. Remember that season a yeah. couple seasons ago when we were like, oh, there's like seven Raptors who who have scored 30 points in a game. You know what I mean? Like right now, the way he looks night in and night out, if he, I would be happy if he could hit 20 on efficient shooting on a couple of nights to help out the uh, second unit, to be honest. I can't see him scoring 30 in an NBA game. Well, not the way he's shooting and not the way he's playing, but that is the thing that he is supposed to be. He is supposed to be a fear of God player. When he comes into the game and gets off the bench and tears off those warm-ups, it's like the other team's supposed to go, oh, shit, not this dude. 
And he doesn't have that factor right now. And he needs to get that because I think that is what exactly what the Raptors imagined with the way they were building their team for this season. Okay, if Gary's going to go to the bench, this is what we need from him. And he has not done that. And I really, I'll tell you something else, Keith, because everyone talks about spacing the floor. If he was doing that, you'd see a more effective Precious Achua. You would see a more effective Chris Boucher because there'd be more room to operate on the offensive end. And they're not getting that. That's where the lack of outside shooting really hurts the Raptors because players like the ones I just mentioned and in the starting lineup, Siakam and, and, and um, Scotty Barnes, they're not getting the room they need to operate because teams can sag off and not too much more off of Scotty though because the man is banging his threes now. So, but they need to be more consistent from outside or have more of a threat. And that's got to come from Gary Trent Jr. And if it doesn't, well, I think he's costing himself some money and then he's going to cost himself a future with the Raptors. Yeah, I mean, hey, hey, I, I really liked his play the last couple of years, the seasons prior, especially two years ago. But not to pick on Gary Trent, but, I mean, yeah, you're that sixth man. You're that spot starter. Um, you know, you really got to be raising your level when you come in. You know, you're coming in against second units or at the amount of minutes you play. Sometimes you're coming in when the starters are not exactly fresh. You've got to take advantage of that and be that, you know, that Vinnie Johnson microwave-like player yeah. for us, you know? Um, right now, yeah, and the thing I is, he, yeah, he's got that ability. Anyway, you know what? Uh, we are talking about game 20 here, one quarter of the season behind us. So, all of this gets couched with this. There's a lot of time left in the season, and a lot of time for us to talk more about the Raptors, the Habs, and the Leafs, which we will do. An upcoming podcast because episode 37 is done. So we'll get back to you with episode 38 real soon. Don't you dare miss it. If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it to the end of another TIYT Millicast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puck and Hoop are solely those of the host, guests, and their sources. The purpose of the Puck and Hoop Millicast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening.